Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. Hello, I'm Paul Karp, Guardian Australia's Chief Political Correspondent. Welcome to another episode of Australian Politics. This week, the Joint Standing Committee on Electoral Matters, JSCEM, released its interim report into the 2022 election. It recommended an ambitious suite of electoral law reforms, including political donation and spending caps and truth in political advertising laws. There's clearly an intention to get big money out of politics, but a lot of detail is still to be decided about how much should be able to be donated and spent on political campaigns. Today, we'll get the government's view first, from the Special Minister of State, Don Farrell, and then hear from the Greens Democracy spokesperson, Senator Larissa Waters. First up, Special Minister of State, Don Farrell. Can I just ask, JSCEM recommended donation and spending caps to keep big money out of politics, but didn't set what level those should be. Do you have a preliminary view about what level the cap should be set at? Um, no, I don't. Um, I think the important thing about the good work that Kate uh, Twaits and her team have, have done is they've, they've raised or identified the problem, uh, raised the issues and uh, pointed us in the right direction. But the next step is to have some discussions with the opposition, uh, with the Greens, with the crossbench to see where they think we should go on this. I've always taken the view, and I did this in opposition, and I'll continue to do it in government, that the best electoral reforms come with the widest uh, level of support uh, from the from the political parties. So I'm keen to sit down now that we've got the interim report. Remember, this is just an interim report. There'll be a final report later in the year. But I'm keen to sit down with, uh, with all, all of the parties see what their take on this, uh, uh, this report is and see to what extent we can reach agreement on resolving and dealing with the issues that the committee has dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, many transparency stakeholders and third-party campaign groups have expressed concern that this could disadvantage independents and smaller parties. Um, do you understand those concerns and, and what process is going to determine the, the caps and take those into account? You know, if I was to summarise that report, um, I'd say, look, there's two really important things that come out of it. One is how do we increase the transparency of Australian electoral results? That's perhaps the key to answering all of the concerns that groups might have. We have to ensure um, that... uh, that when Australians um, lodge their, 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 their vote at a, a federal election or, for that matter, a, a referendum, um, they know exactly who they're voting for and um, what the sources of funding for that, uh, for that person or group uh, might be. And so in terms of lowering the uh, disclosure threshold and uh, real-time disclosure, well, then that's, that's got to apply to everybody. You can't sort of have a situation where some group says, well, no, we, we shouldn't be transparent about how we, uh, we contribute. 
The second, I think, equally important is that it can't only be rich people who can afford to run and fund electoral campaigns. We we saw at the last election Clive Palmer spending $117 million on the on the campaign. Now, we didn't know that. We knew we knew he was spending a lot of money because everywhere you looked there was a Clive Palmer um, advertisement, poster or uh, billboard. But it was only after the election that we found out that he had donated that much. And we want to make sure that ordinary Australians have an opportunity to run and to be elected. And so you've got to have some mechanism to control just how much uh, people can spend. I think they're the two important takeouts of this report. And, you know, the government supports the, the concept of both of them. Now, how do we implement that? We need to sit down, talk to the other parties, say, look, do you agree with the essential thrust of the recommendations, and if you do, how would you see it being resolved? Hmm. Should the spending of unions affiliated to the ALP be aggregated with Labor's spending for the purpose of the cap? And if not, would you like to respond to the Liberals' accusation that it's a financial gerrymander? Um, look, unions have always historically had a link with the uh, with the Labor Party. There's a, a historical link there between the um, um, the unions and the uh, and the ALP, and um, as a former union official myself, I'm not about to uh, to break that link. Just how we incorporate uh, unions into any of these changes again, that'll be subject to discussions. They represent ordinary working Australians. They deal with ordinary working Australians every single day, and uh, in lots of ways, they're much more in touch than politicians with what ordinary uh, working Australians are thinking about any particular issue. Hmm. Uh, now, JSCAM now moves on to consider expanding parliament. Is it still your intention to do that? And can that be done uh, this term? Or would that be a second term agenda type thing? Look, um, I'd be thinking that let's deal with these first tranche of reforms. Let's see if we can get agreement on that. Let's see if we can get them through the uh, the parliament and implemented before the election. Just as to what we might do next, well, one step at a time here. Let's do what we're immediately presented with, which is these um, 15 or so recommendations and try, and try and get them dealt with. And then we'll see how we're going in terms of any future progress on any other recommendations that JSCAM might, uh, might come up with. Mm. Do you have in principle position on, say, David Pocock's plan to increase territory representation in the Senate or more mainland MPs? I, I think there's a, a discussion to be had about all of those issues. For instance, since the last time the parliament was expanded in uh, 1984 under the Hawke government, the Australian population has increased by 10 million people. And when you think that the total population is only 26 million, that's a very, very significant increase in, in population without a commensurate increase in representation. But on the other hand, you know, the community is not all that welcoming to uh, increasing the number of uh, politicians. So I think there's a discussion to be had. I'm happy to participate in that discussion. But my immediate priority will be to have those talks about how we implement the current set of recommendations. Mm -hmm. Now, 16 to 18-year-olds are voting. It used to be Labor policy and there's now a private member's bill, the Greens and the Monique Ryan uh, Independent are pushing it. Is that something that you have a view on? Look, I don't believe that's one of the issues that we need to deal with between now and the, uh, the next election. 
there are some some issues that relate to um, that proposal. And in the past, people have said that this should be voluntary uh, voting for people under uh, uh, under the age of 18. I think the Greens have now clarified that they're, they're happy to go with compulsory but no fines because they understand your objection to that now. I'm I'm not opposed to having talks with the, the Greens about these things, but that won't be one of the priority issues that we're discussing. We're going to be focused on the 15 or so recommendations in the JSCIM report. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back to those, um, should there be uh, exceptions for fundraising bodies like Climate 200 to collect small donations and then pass through um, bigger donations to, to, to candidates? Isn't that a legitimate way for, for ordinary Australians to participate in the process? Again, we're happy to have a look at any concerns. We don't want to reduce participation in the democratic process. What we do want to do, though, is ensure transparency and uh, I'm sure there's a balance there where we can we can achieve both of those objectives. And charities in particular uh, are worried about limits on, on donations because they might engage in, in advocacy. How, how would a donation cap work in the instance of a, of a charity that does some advocacy? We've, or myself in particular, whenever issues regarding charities have been raised in the past, have always been... Uh, very sympathetic to the issue of, uh, of charities. Uh, again, look, I'm happy to discuss with them how we achieve our objective of greater transparency, but don't diminish the opportunity of community groups to participate in the uh, in the in the political process. This might be off the top of my head, but there is a current impediment to charities being involved in the political process. I think that was an issue that we talked about on previous occasions. But look, I'm happy to talk with them, discuss how we might best progress our transparency proposals uh, and see what we come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and just last one, uh, Kate Cheney had a suggestion to remove the other receipts category. Wouldn't that improve transparency if donations like paying you know, $200 for or more for a plate of chicken, like should, shouldn't that be declared as a donation? They're all things we're happy to uh, have a discussion about. We, we do want greater transparency. On the other hand, we don't want to make the uh, system so cumbersome that people can't ultimately make a donation. There's a balance there, and uh, hopefully in my discussion with uh, Kate and others, uh, we'll achieve that right balance and come back to the parliament with a consensus uh, piece of legislation. That's certainly my hope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'd love to uh, keep in touch with what that process is, starting guns only fired after the final report, or if you start meeting them before no, that. No, or... no, no, no. We've been waiting off the report. Um, so uh, now that we've got the, uh, I'd, I'd call this the starters gun. Okay. All right. Well, I look forward to that being hammered out and we'll keep the conversation going. Thanks, Paul. Now we hear from the Greens Democracy spokesperson, Senator Larissa Waters. Welcome, Senator Waters. Lovely to be with you, Paul. Now, you're on the committee uh, that proposed this suite of electoral law reforms. Uh, In your additional comments, you took quite a jaundiced view about major party stitch-ups on electoral law and warned against the government cherry-picking reforms. Uh, What was the concern there? 
Well, I'm not sure if I'd describe myself as jaundiced quite yet, but I think reasonably suspicious that the self-interest of the two big political parties might be a driving force behind the sort of reforms that they choose to progress, um, particularly since the recommendations in the JSCAM interim report um, are really very light on detail. So they're essentially statements of principle, many points of principle that the Greens have been pushing for um, for more than 10 years now. But without that that dev- without that detail, then it's really unclear whether or not those reforms might be structured in a way that actually simply locks in the uh, two-party system that is in decline and that we saw at the last election, really a third of people didn't vote for either of the two big parties. So our interest here is to clean up democracy. Don't smirk at me like that, Paul. <laughs> our interest is to clean up democracy and really make sure that people uh, people's votes will be respected and that the system um, is is one in which new entrants can enter without those barriers that, that simply lock in the status quo. I'm, 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 I think parties of all, all sizes fight their corner. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not meaning to be too amused. It's just, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've covered the electoral uh, law stuff in a few parliaments and it's, it's always very divisive. So it's just, just ringing those bells for me. It's not a, it's not a criticism. Um, now the Greens signed on to the majority report. So I assume you're in favour of uh, spending and donation caps. Uh, what level do you think those should be set at? Well, we'd like to see what the government's proposing in that regard. And as I've said, we are in principle, um, of course, in favour of getting the influence of big money out of politics. It's something we've long pushed for. But we are concerned that they might be designed in such a way as to shore up the flailing political fortunes of the two big parties. So it's not our job to set the amounts. And we are very interested to see what the government comes back with and what proposed amount they set uh, for, for donations and spending caps. I mean, of course, the Greens have long proposed that we have donations caps of just $1,000 to make sure that no one can really exert undue influence on the political party that they're seeking to support. Um, people might still wish to support their political party of choice, but it doesn't seem a large enough amount to buy any favours, if you like. And when it comes to spending caps, we saw one uh, Mr Clive Palmer who blanketed the airwaves and the billboards um, with pretty simplistic repeated slogans that, you know, really locked out other people from um, spreading their message through those forms. And I think probably did himself a disservice in that regard. But nonetheless, it seems an awful waste of money to spend that much on an election. It should be reasonable spending caps to make sure that rich people can't buy electoral outcomes or policy outcomes for that matter. Mm. Now, independent MPs have warned that caps may disadvantage uh, aspiring political entrants who have to spend more to build a profile if they don't have the advantages of party status and incumbency. What do you make of that argument and should that shape how the caps are designed? Look, I think it should shape how the caps are designed because we do genuinely want to make sure that there is a level playing field for people who are aspiring to represent their constituents. And certainly for the Greens, we run a really strong people-powered campaign. Yes, we spend some money on advertising, but we we generally like to focus on trying to have as many people actually engaged in spreading that message rather than simply billboards or expensive television ads. So we do want to encourage that 
active participation in democracy. But at the moment, there are war chests in the two large parties that they use to fund their election campaigns. And it isn't a level playing field for for an independent or for a new party that seeks to break in when they're up against those huge war chests of the big parties with the media pull power that those incumbents already have. So I think we do need to look at the power of incumbency and design reforms that make sure that we're not just locking out new entrants to the political system because look at the change that we just got in the last election. We've got more women in parliament, we've got more people of colour in parliament, but we're still a long way to go before our parliament actually looks anything like our community in terms of diversity and we want to encourage a more diverse parliament because we'll get better decisions that way. So we can't just entrench the pale, male and stale parliaments that we've had in years gone by. So we need the reforms to make sure that diversity isn't restricted when it comes to uh, people's rights to choose their candidate and to to vote in their their voice. So will that mean higher caps for non-incumbents and for independents then? Well, look, it's really up to the government to come up with a model and, and I'm very much looking forward to them uh, deciding on that detail. I sort of had hoped that that would be present in the interim report and I was disappointed to to see when it wasn't. Um, there's different ways you could address that. And frankly, we're open to any of those ways, but we will look at it. Does this improve democracy? Does this encourage people to um, want to nominate for election? And does this en- enable voters who didn't vote for the major parties to still have that legitimacy of choice when they vote? Mm-hmm. Now, the Greens want to go further in terms of banning particular types of donations from you know, fossil fuels, defence industry, alcohol and tobacco, gambling. Is this going to be the price that you set on green support? And is it really feasible to, to hold up a bill that does lots of good things for transparency, like lowering donation uh, disclosure thresholds and real-time disclosure to try and get um, you know, rid of those, those nasty donations you don't like? Well, we have pushed for many a year to make sure that industries with a track record of using political donations to seek policy outcomes that suit their bottom lines, we really have pushed to make sure that can't happen anymore. And you've seen through some states parliaments some restrictions. New South Wales, of course, with their restrictions on property developers, Queensland followed suit in that regard. There is a recognition that certain groups of industries do try to exert influence through political donations. Now, you'd be kidding yourself if you thought that didn't happen at the federal level as well. So we do need to clean up the influence of that big money on the decision-making process. But uh, importantly, to your point about is that our price, we want to see a comprehensive reform package of for electoral reforms and we will not support a cherry-picking approach where the big parties choose to um, seek to legislate ways that benefit them but ignore all of the other concerns that the smaller parties and people out there in the public have raised. So we want to see a comprehensive package. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in your additional comments, you take aim at the uh, Labor Business Forum, uh, which, you know, collected subscription fees from PwC, amongst others, uh, and the sports bet spending on a dinner with the then Shadow Communications Minister, uh, two things which are w- completely uh, within the rules, but p- some would argue are examples of why the rules should change. Mm. Do you think the government is genuinely open to cracking down on, on that sort of practice? Well, look, it remains to be seen. I'm an eternal optimist, Paul, so 
So I live in hope. That's why I can continue to do this role. But we um, we didn't see suggestions like that proposed in the interim report. And we saw a suggestion that the definition of gift under the electoral laws be changed. And that sounds positive, but you can't just change bits of it. If you're still leaving massive loopholes like affiliation fees, cash for access events, membership fees that are grossly inflated, you can't keep those inbuilt loopholes in there and claim to be reforming the system for the better. So again, we'll look at what the government proposes when they come back with some detail, but we do want to see a comprehensive approach and not one that just picks and chooses the bits that will, they might look good on the surface, but actually to shore up the fortunes of the Labor and Liberal parties. Mm. There is a risk here, though, isn't there, that uh, the, the harder uh, bargain that you drive, the, the Greens and the crossbench, in trying to get reforms, it might be the very thing that drives Labor into the, the arms of the coalition to cut a, a major party deal rather than a, you know, a multi-party deal. How do you go about balancing that sort of thing? Well, I mean, whether the government seeks to work with the crossbench and the Greens to deliver reforms that improve democracy or whether they seek to work with the Liberal opposition um, with reforms that just are good for Liberal and Labor but lock out the one-third of, of people who vote other than Liberal and Labor is really it'll be up to the government and we'll all be watching with great interest which pathway they choose. The minister's made no secret that he would like to see this as a bipartisan reform, using his words. I think he, in subsequent interviews, changed that to multipartisan. But forgive my caution if bipartisan is code for we're just going to make sure it's quite nice for us two big parties and, um, you know, never mind these new upstarts that are getting greater and greater support out there in the public. Mm. And there have been some warnings about unintended consequences in terms of charities engaging in advocacy, how they would be affected by caps, and whether uh, fundraising bodies like Climate 200 that collected donations ranging from the large down to the very small and then pass those through to candidates. Do you have views on, you know, how they can uh, ensure that they're still part of the political debate and how to write laws that don't that don't handicap those those models of participation. Well, again, this is why we want to see a comprehensive approach, Paul, and not just a cherry picking approach. And we want to make sure that those consequences, whether they're intended or unintended, aren't going to have a chilling effect on new entrants to the political system. But you raise a really good point about the impact on charities and not for profits. The Greens have long been in the corner of the not for profit sector. I used to work in the not for profit sector before politics. Charities and um, non government organisations who are working in the public interest do have a right to participate in our um, political system. They do have a right to advocate for the causes for which they were formed. And we kind of went over this ground when there was a last tranche of reforms, the Electoral Disclosure and Funding Reform, or EFDR, as it was called four or five years ago now. And um, we covered a lot of those concerns about chilling the voice of NGOs whilst folk like the Business Council or the Minerals Council weren't facing those similar restrictions. So we want to, we, we will have a very weather eye to make sure that charities and not-for-profits are not further discouraged from uh, advocacy to support the causes that, that they formed for. And I, I hope the government will bear that strongly in mind when they are looking at the detail of the reforms that they'll propose. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and in terms of truth in political advertising, how do you envisage that working? Uh, will the Australian Electoral Commission be getting out a big rubber stamp and branding contentious claims like EVs will end the weekend lies? Is that how it will work? <laughs> oh, how the times they are changing. I think they've. Uh, I think the now opposition have changed their tune on EVs, which is very welcome because it was always a ridiculous um, assertion in the first place. But it's been quite vexed truth in political advertising and we do need to design the system in a way that doesn't have any unintended consequences. South Australia's managed to do it, so we're quite attracted to that model. And we did spend quite a bit of time in the hearings that led to this interim report investigating that issue. And Everyone agrees in principle it's a great idea, but no one has yet really landed the model that delivers a good outcome and doesn't have any other um, unintended consequences. So, again, we're really looking forward to the government proposing a detailed model and we will we will consider that. But the truth in political advertising is long overdue, something the Greens have pushed for for many a year and we look forward to that being addressed as part of a comprehensive package and not a, not a piecemeal response. I've always found that to be a very sort of philosophically tricky because a lot of the most contentious claims in the election are claims about the future, like the, mm. the, the, the coalition are going to privatise Medicare or Labor is going to introduce death taxes. And I, mm. I just like really struggle to understand how anyone is going to make a ruling on whether that sort of thing is, is, is fair game or not. Well, I, I, I think the Electoral Commission and many other bodies share your concern, Paul. Nobody really wants to do the job of being the arbiter, but the public do have a right to some kind of factual basis for the claims that are made in elections. And look, I reckon if you just talk about your own policies, then you're not going to get into hot water. But, um, you know, that's a whole other kettle of fish is whether or not negative campaigning helps the public discourse. I have a view about that that's clearly not sh- not shared by the Liberal and Labor parties. Hmm. Could I ask, uh, it's coming in the uh, second half of the review of the 2022 election, but the idea about expanding parliament, we've seen Mm. David Pocock uh, this week reiterate his calls to increase the representation of the territories uh, to four or six uh, senators, so a third or half the number that the the states get. Um, Do the Greens have a position on whether we need a bigger bigger parliament? Well, look, less so about the size of the parliament. And again, we'll, we'll consider whatever proposals come forward. And of course, we'll listen to the evidence when we when we take that in the second half of this um, process. Uh, we would like to see reforms to the voting system in the House of Representatives. We do think the parliament needs to be more representative, not only more diverse and representative of the community, which is diverse, but we think that the power of people's votes needs to be better reflected. So we'd love to see proportional representation in the House of representatives, for example, which would have um, delivered a lot more Greens a lot earlier to, to reflect the will of the voters. So that's the sort of voting reform um, that, that we would be attracted to. And likewise, lowering the voting age is something that we are very passionate about. And we've now got some support from the Teal Independents on that issue as well. So young people are super engaged in the political system. They should have that right to vote. It is their future that our decisions are, are affecting, particularly when we're in not only a climate crisis, but a, a housing crisis and a cost of living crisis. So we'd love to see 16 and 17-year-olds be able to vote um, and not to damage the compulsory nature of that, but perhaps the fine can be waived if they choose not to vote at that early age. So they're the sort of reforms that we'll really be seeking to gather evidence on and persuade the government to to seriously consider. But um, again, we want to see a comprehensive reform package that addresses all of these issues and not just picks bits and pieces that suit the government or the opposition. 
Right. The Special Minister of State, Don Farrell, said that expanding Parliament could be looked at in a second tranche of reform after the, the donations and spending. The 16- to 18-year-olds voting, he said, though, would, wouldn't be a first-term sort of agenda at all. Is, is that something that, that you're going to be seeking to put into electoral bills in, in this term of Parliament? Well, we already have a bill um, in the Senate for 16 and 17-year-olds to be able to vote, and so it's something that we we have sought to champion and push for a while now, but be very alert to self-interest in these proposals. Um, I, I have no doubt that the Labor Party would, if they did deliberate increasing the size of Parliament, they would seek to ensure that that was favourable uh, to their numbers, and likewise they might be less attractive to, to letting younger people vote because they know that probably they're going to vote Green rather than Labor. So, again, you've always got to look behind the uh, the statements to see what's the motivation and um, self-interest is certainly very looming very large in these sorts of debates and we want democracy to be improved and people's votes to be respected. Um, that's our lens. Okay. All right. I think that's, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for your interest, Paul. This episode was produced by Camilla Hannan and Alison Chan. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. We'll be back next week for another two episodes of Australian Politics, one midweek on the Guardian Essential Poll and another on Saturday. Thanks for joining us. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.